0: mitchell the host of this podcast what's up everyone uh we're recording this on a beautiful friday morning here in toronto i'm feeling happy that it's friday it's a beautiful beautiful day we are out of this fuck, fuck humidity so i'm happy about that i know lots of people really like for some reason the super super heat but it's not for me you guys i've been feeling a little laggy recently because of it but yeah, it's beautiful now, September, one of my favorite months of the year. And I'm happy. I'm happy to be kicking it in the, in the studio with Unjaman this morning. So I feel like sometimes I spend a lot of time off the top, like yelling about something that bothers me or bitching about politics or any other such number of things. But this morning I wanted to do something a little different. I just wanted to tell you guys a story. I've told this story to a lot of people. I've told it on stage, um, but I'm gonna tell it to you guys now because I think it's funny and it's a funny story about my family and I think it will illuminate some things about me and my vibes. (laughs) And what I'm like and what kind of family I come from. My dad is the second oldest of eight kids. He grew up on a farm outside of London, Ontario. Like, farmers are pretty wealthy now, but it hasn't always been the case, so they grew up pretty poor. Because of the nature of the family, like there's eight kids, there was always some crazy shit going on. Maybe around the time that my dad was 18 or 19 or so, was the year my uncle, his younger brother, decided to pull a bit of a birthday prank on my grandmother. My grandmother was the matriarch of our family. She held shit together. She was the boss. If you needed anything, you went to Audrey. Audrey knew it was up. She was stern, but she was also very loving. And she was an amazing gardener. She had four or five gardens going at a time. When you are a gardener, when you are an intense gardener, you start your seeds early on. So my grandma's birthday was in early March, and this was also always around the time that she started seeding the plants in the house. So she always started with tomatoes because, you know, tomatoes are abundant, you can grow hella tomatoes. And they're the ones that sort of like also die quickly in the sort of uh, hatching a little seedling process. So she started all these plants. My uncle, for her birthday, gave her some additional seeds. The plants that came from those seeds started just growing really beautifully, really huge and really lush and really beautiful. My uncle, who's not a dummy, had given her something that looked a lot like tomatoes in the early stages. <laughs> My uncle had given her seeds to grow marijuana my grandma has all these little pots of tomatoes around and interspersed in them are all these little weed plants so it comes around time for my grandmother to take the plants and plant them in the actual garden now she wasn't an idiot she knew what the other plants were and she took one of those plants and she planted it in the very front garden outside of the farmhouse But you have to understand, the laneway to their farmhouse off the road was probably a half a mile long. So the only people really that could see and that knew that there was a weed plant growing in the front garden were my grandma, my grandpa, and any of the kids that were old enough to know what the fuck it was or knew what my uncle had been up to. My grandma's an amazing gardener. So this weed plant starts growing and growing. And my dad said at the height of it, It was, like, six feet tall and, like, leaning over with its own weight. Just falling over with the weight of all the the buds on it. Like I said, the only people that really knew about this were the fam. Except for that, my dad's older sister, my aunt, had this boyfriend who was in university. He was going to Western come to the farm and knew about the plant. It's the family that knows, and now it's my aunt's boyfriend that knows. Now, one weekend, they all have to go up north for a wedding. The whole family goes. One of their cousins or some shit were getting married. They leave the farm. There's no one there. They come back. The plant has been completely uprooted. It's just gone. And they had all had this debate the whole summer. Who's gonna fucking take the plant? No one wanted to be the one that harvested the weed plant, right? Then it's you, then everyone knows. My dad and my uncle had a pretty good idea of what happened to the plant. But a couple months later, they went to go hang out with my aunt's boyfriend. They're sitting around his place, having a couple beers. The boyfriend comes out with like a joint and they like smoke this joint. And afterwards he goes, did you guys like that? And they were like, yeah, that's some pretty good weed, man. <laughs> and he goes back into the kitchen and he brings out like two huge freezer bags full of weed and just like throws them at them and goes, there you go. <laughs> and then uh, my dad told me the story. He was like, so then we just uh, had a bunch of mom's homegrown and it was good fucking weed. <laughs> no one ever really talked about it again. Do you know what I mean? Like that was just like a thing that happened and everyone was like, oh man, plants gone, so. Uh, We've all moved on. Cool. And I feel like that really, like, made me better understand everyone in my family. (laughs) And it makes me laugh when I think about it. And I do really wish I had gotten to smoke some of my grandma's uh, farm-grown, sweet, sweet, organic, free-range weed, baby. You know what I mean? We should all be so lucky. This episode, holy shit, it is a good fucking episode. On the show today, we have Nam Kiwanuka. She is a writer and a journalist and just generally an extreme powerhouse of a woman. She's so talented and wonderful. And we have a beautiful conversation. I felt inspired and refreshed after we talked yesterday. I just actually really want to thank Nam for like opening up to me and being so emotionally available to someone that she didn't know at all until she came into the studio. And I think that you guys are going to really enjoy the conversation that we had because I enjoyed having it with her. So check her out on TVO. You may remember her from being one of the best VJs much music ever had, Uh, but please enjoy this interview with Nam. How are you? <laughs> Great. <laughs> Good. Good. <laughs> okay, so mm-hmm. I was hanging out with some friends last night. Yeah. I was telling them that I was going to talk to you today. And I pronounced your name. I said, I'm going to talk to, I'm very, like, Canadian. I was like, Namugeni Kiwanuka. My friend, Guerra, who mm-hmm. is from Uganda, mm-hmm. first of all, she was like, that's wrong. Yeah. <laughs> she was like, Lauren, she was like, say it after me. It's Namugeni chiwanuka Yep.
1: Yeah, it's so funny we're having this conversation because um, I just interviewed Masai Ujiri from the Toronto Raptors. Mm -hmm. We were talking about names, and he he was telling me how his name was pronounced when he was growing up. I Mm -hmm. won't say it. Um, But uh, for me, and I told him that when I go back home, I always get scolded by the aunties. They're Mm -hmm. like, you're saying your name wrong. It's (laughs) Chiwanuka. And it's not Namgeni. It's like, Namgeni, Chiwanuka. And I'm like, I'm I'm not going to ask people to do that because it's like... I've always pronounced it Kiwanuka, mm-hmm. and I understand it's not a name that you see mm-hmm. every day, so I'm not going to be like, oh, you need to pronounce this, because I lost that language as well mm-hmm. when I moved to Canada, and it, which breaks my heart. Mm-hmm. But was fine. <laughs> She was fine.
0: It was so funny, because she was like... I was like, if you grew up in Canada, like yeah. you're you're my favorite VJ, how much music? Do you yeah, know what I mean? I, like that's awesome. And she was like, yo, 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 wait. Are you telling me you had a Ugandan woman on your like <laughs> just your Canadian music channel? And yeah. I was like, it never even struck me as weird. And I'm yeah. like from the country. Do you know mm-hmm. what I mean? I'm from like the smallest, whitest town of all time. And mm-hmm. she, my friend was just like. I cannot believe this.
1: (laughs) Well, it was, I honestly, I got to give it up to uh, Moses Neimer Mm -hmm. and uh, Denise Donlan. And so Moses Neimer is the, I think he's probably one of the most smartest people Mm -hmm. this country has ever had. Actually, probably anywhere when it comes to media. Mm -hmm. He was decades ahead of communicating. I don't know if you remember the show Speakers Corner, yeah, which is YouTube, right?
0: Yeah, and yes. people could come
1: to the corner and talk about whatever they could just. It was just a soapbox for yeah. regular people to get their voices heard. Hi, YouTube, um, and he had this idea where people should like people on air should reflect the people who are watching. Do you remember Master T? Master mm-hmm. T had locks. Mm-hmm. Uh, they had a cameraman, Alton Morgan, who had like locks as well. And they had these huge posters throughout the city. Mm-hmm. And they were all like, people keep talking about diversity. I hate that word, diversity. But people, I I would prefer inclusion, mm-hmm. right? Because whenever you say diversity, it sounds like you're talking about Plants and fish and <laughs> um, <laughs> not people. Um, but that idea, City TV back in the day mm-hmm. under um, Moses Neimer, that was what they did every day. Yeah. It wasn't like, oh, my God, that's so weird. Yeah. It was like, this is how it should be because this is our audience. This is Canada. My boss at the time, Denise Donlin mm-hmm. So when we came to Canada, I became Mary. <laughs> Mary, um, because that was my grandmother's name. Mm-hmm. And um, Namgeni was also her name. I was named after her. But when we came to Canada, it was like, oh, it's easier for people to say. You know, it's easier for you to assimilate. And again, with the language, Mm -hmm. it was like, don't speak your languages. Um, I spoke three African languages when I came here. Damn. And I speak none now, which is so heartbreaking. Um, That's crazy. It's nuts. The first time I went back to Uganda, which was like, (laughs) Hmm. Like 95. um, I wasn't able to talk to my mother's grandmother who raised me. And it was so heartbreaking because I spent so much time with her. And then to go back and she doesn't understand English. Mm -hmm. I don't understand our language. which is called Luganda. And um, I had people translating, but it wasn't the same. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And even now, I have two kids, I can't even share those languages with them. Thankfully, my husband speaks Swahili and Luganda. So I spoke Kikuyu, which is a Kenyan dialect, mm-hmm. uh, Swahili, which you can find throughout most of Africa, especially in East Africa, and Luganda, which is one of the languages spoken in Uganda. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, my husband speaks Luganda and Swahili. So he's kind of teaching our kids that. But for me, it's like I don't know how to say it. And then it, it's interesting being on TV. Mm-hmm. Um, now I'm a TVO and um, <laughs> the director of the show. Um, we would do stand-ups mm-hmm. and I would say certain words wrong, right? Mm-hmm. And then one day I'm like, this is my fourth language. And he's like, What? <laughs> And I'm like, it's my fourth language. English is my fourth language. And there's certain words that I have difficulty yeah. saying. And sometimes when I'm on air, I get really nervous about mm-hmm. that because people hear it. I don't know why we're so embarrassed of our accents, you know. Yeah. But um, I'm trying to embrace it more. But yeah, anyway. I think we start talking about names. Oh, this is really
0: I think I pronounce like hella words wrong. Yeah, and I'm like I have an English literature degree, and I'm like out here pronouncing words wrong. Like, thank you for making me feel better. (laughs) Well, it's weird though. I used to have a stutter, so it's interesting that
1: I'm doing I'm broadcasting. I'm a broadcaster, and I used to have a stutter. Um, I had to go to uh, speech therapy when we first moved to Canada, and um, yeah, and then but sometimes if I do become nervous or if I'm tired or. Whatever, mm-hmm. this stutter might come out. Yeah. Like my son, he's five, and he has a speech condition. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, he was saying to me the other day, he didn't want to go back to school because the other kids make fun of him. No. He's five, right? No. And they already they start early. <laughs> um, <laughs> and I was just saying, you know, mummy, mummy had the same thing mm-hmm. when she was younger, and mummy just had to work on it. Mm-hmm. And you'll be great. Mm-hmm. You'll do, you know, you'll be
0: awesome. So yeah, someday you'll be on TV. Yeah, who knows, <laughs> right? <laughs> Uh, you have a five-year-old son. How old's your other? Uh, my daughter's three. Oh, yeah, that's such cute ages. Yeah, it's
1: interesting ages. That's like the
0: <laughs> two and three is funny because I feel like my for my friends with kids, it's like when they start to like get a personality and a sense of humor, and you're like, oh shit, you're funny. Yeah, yeah, they're <laughs> very funny. Um, uh, my daughter said the other
1: day, she's like, you don't drink beer because if you drink beer, you'll be bald like daddy. <laughs> Yes,
0: preach all
1: day. I'm like, where's my wine glass? Yeah. But, but we, when we go by the LCBO, my son and my daughter are like, oh, there's mommy's store. So I'm like, um, okay. are my children trying to tell me something? Yeah. You're
0: like, don't say that to other people, okay? Right? It's like inside voice. Yeah. My friend was a three-year-old was telling me the other day that they were walking down the street and his three-year-old was just like. I just really don't like pigeons. And my friend was like, why? And very loudly, he stopped and said very loudly, because they shit all over the place. (laughs) And my friend said that, like, all these other adults turned and was like, where did that little voice yelling about shit come from? And so my friend was like, okay, well, where did you learn that? He was like, mom said it. And I was like, wow. Wait and throw your, your mother, mom under the bus the bus. I was like, you need to do a better job of raising a feminist. I, right. They call you out and you're yeah.
1: like, I don't know where they learned
0: that from. <laughs> Meanwhile, nudge nudge. Yeah. They're like, No, I remember. <laughs> you I like that complete lack of irony. Yeah. Just like they're honest. Yeah. Yeah. The the honest. sincerity is sort of wonderful yeah it's like there's no filter which is like some days yeah you know you're like oh but there's just the um
1: i guess the innocence of it Mm -hmm. right but yeah my kids are great i mean it's tiring yeah but i feel for me it's like i'm seeing my childhood through their
0: eyes again Mm -hmm.
1: and it's such a blessing
0: yeah that's a beautiful way to look at it You gave a beautiful keynote at Manifesto. Mm -hmm. I read a bunch of stuff about it that said it was really gorgeous. Mm -hmm. Um, Thank you. Manifesto for our... Probably mostly American listeners. but if you're in Toronto, you know what it is. So
1: it's an arts and culture festival, and this was its 10th year. Yes. And it's really cool because it combines musicians and panels. Mm-hmm. And I was speaking on the second day of an event called The Summit. Mm-hmm. So there was a couple of keynote speakers talking about how we got our start, everything within the city. But, yeah, I don't cool.
0: know if that makes sense. Yeah, I know it does. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool. You do, like... Journalism, like reporting Mm -hmm. journalism. And I wonder how much vulnerability you allow yourself, or you think maybe can and should be allowed within that kind of like very facts, data Mm -hmm. style of journalism. Does that have you found like throughout your very broad career that there's like an undercurrent of like vulnerability or openness to what you do? I think that's probably what drew me to journalism in the first place Mm -hmm. because um,
1: they're human stories Mm -hmm. and I identify one-on-one with people. And also journalism has changed so much. Like I could never describe myself um, in the sense that, you know, you watch CNN and it's all commentators, Mm -hmm. you know, and we have networks now where, oh, they're liberal and, oh, they're right wing or, I mean – 20 years ago, 25 years ago, you would never see that because everything with journalism, you have to be um, non biased, you have mm-hmm. to be fair, you have to be balanced. And now when I watch, I see their stories, oh, they might have been, they may have. Mm-hmm. And when I went to journalism school, you couldn't use those words. Mm-hmm. It was either they did or they did not. Mm-hmm. Journalism is a very interesting uh, place right now. I still follow Dan Rather mm-hmm. uh, on Facebook, and he has such a beautiful way of looking at the world mm-hmm. and I think he's one of the great the last great journalists. Yeah. and so I don't know. with social media, maybe it's just it's going to happen where there's so many voices and anyone can be a journalist in no a mm-hmm. sense. I have a journalism degree, and I feel like it's not worth it. Anything. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And as far as the vulnerability, it's just who I am. Mm -hmm. I mean, what I spoke about at Manifesto, I never really talked about it before. Um, I wrote an op ed for the Global Mail about. My uh, grandmother, Mm -hmm. the woman who sponsored my family to Canada, we came here as refugees. And she lived in London, Ontario. Mm -hmm. She was a white woman, originally from Montreal. Mm -hmm. And she had never met us. This was on the age of social media. This was like in the 80s. Uh, We had never spoken to her. Mm -hmm. She had never seen any pictures of us. She just knew about our story. She knew that my dad was a single dad in this refugee camp. He had four kids and he needed help. And then she took it upon herself to help us and to bring us to Canada. So I wrote this op ed about her, you know, and the, I think the title was How a Stranger Saved, oh no, How a Stranger Became Blood. Mm-hmm. I think I had maybe one or two lines in there that kind of alluded to what was happening in my house at mm-hmm. the time. And some people in my family got really upset by it, which to me was a slap in the face and it was shocking. And I, I spoke to one of my family members and I said, Did I lie? And they were like, no. I'm like, so why can't I talk about this? Why can't I process it the way I need to process it to make sense of Mm -hmm. it? And this article was mostly about granny. And so I'm supposed to leave that bit out because it makes you uncomfortable. But it's like part of the story. And as a journalist, truth is everything. Facts are everything. So after that happened... um, I kind of just withdrew from it. I I couldn't write for a long time because I felt like there was a block.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Because, you know, as much as it's my story, I still care very much about my family. And it's not a nice feeling to be ostracized from the people that you love. Mm -hmm. But that's essentially what happened. And um, it took me a while. And then I kept thinking, you know, I get invited to speak at different events. And I, I, I could talk about what I've done and... But there's a backstory to it. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And along the way, I've met so many young people. Oh, my God, I'm saying young people, (laughs) which means (laughs) that I'm so old. Um, (laughs) But like I'm meeting so many um, people at, you know, the prime of their life where they could make decisions that could take them one way. And I see like a lot of suffering and, you know, if I have a conversation with somebody and they tell me their backstory, and in the back of my head, I'm like, that's me. That's Mm -hmm. what I went through. So when Manifesto asked me, I kind of didn't know I was going to do the speech. Mm -hmm. But then I saw this one article about um, Kids Help Phone and (laughs) the amount of teens in Canada who are considering suicide and, you know, why and how they don't talk to anyone. Mm -hmm. I just felt like if I don't talk about it, I'm being irresponsible. And I'm being, um, I'm not doing what I'm supposed to do. All week, I felt, after I gave the speech, I felt, my body felt sore. I felt like I had been running or doing exercise Mm -hmm. or something. I was talking to a girlfriend and she's like, it's probably your body releasing that. Yeah. Because I've had it internalized for like 25 years plus, right? Yeah. So, um, yeah, I'm glad I did. I'm still kind of on eggshells because Mm -hmm. I don't know if my family knows. Yeah. But I'm at the point where I'm okay with it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think it's so hard to, especially if you, like, have any kind of public life, Mm -hmm. when you want to talk about... I've always been wary to talk about my family issues and, like, internal weirdness Mm -hmm. because... It's not even about, like, stepping on toes. It's, like, you don't want to hurt someone. But, like, it is also your story to tell. You know what I mean? Like, your life is your story. And if you can't tell those stories, and if you can't tell stories about yourself, then, like, what do you have, really? You know what I mean?
1: Did you see that documentary that Sarah Pauly did? No. It was about her family. And there was a line in it where you grew up with people, and everybody has like a different way of remembering things. Mm -hmm. So maybe that's what that was. Um, But for me, I felt like I was being victimized all over again Mm -hmm. because I was a child. Um, None of the adults in my life stepped up to help me. Mm -hmm. And my grandmother did, but then Mm -hmm. she uh, died shortly after. And, you know, I remember incidences where... You know, my dad would fly off and there were adults in the room and they did nothing. And so throughout the years, I've had to be around these same adults and Mm -hmm. pretending like everything's hey, it's great. And then if I like learning language is really important. Mm -hmm. Like I never knew what trigger meant. Mm -hmm. Right. So now I I know what a trigger is. So learning this kind of language has helped me in the sense that, you know, when I'm around certain people, I would get very my body would stif- become very stiff. I mm-hmm. would become very um, nervous, and uh, my stomach would feel strange. And everybody would tell me in my family, I would just get over it, just like it happened so long ago. And then I would see people around me that I love within my family who are not dealing with it. And mm-hmm. they're dealing with it in different ways mm-hmm. and ways that might not be healthy. Yeah. But for me to talk about it, I'm just not supposed to talk about it. My dad, he changed when he came to Canada. Mm -hmm. Like, I can't even imagine how enormous the responsibility Mm -hmm. must have been for him. I have two kids. I'm educated. I'm living in a country where, as a girl, Mm -hmm. I have so many opportunities. Mm -hmm. I might not get paid as much (laughs) or get the same opportunities as my male counterparts. But compared to Uganda, Mm -hmm. I mean, (laughs) come on. Um, But being a parent is such a big responsibility. And for him to come here, he had four kids, he was in his 20s, he was a black man, living in London, Ontario, Mm -hmm. poor, Mm -hmm. refugee. Um, The stuff that he must have dealt with. And throughout the years, it affected him. Looking back, I completely understand it. Mm -hmm. And I've forgiven him. You know, we don't have a relationship, because for me, that's what I've chosen, Mm -hmm. because I've established boundaries, and I feel safe that way are safer that way. But, you know, I don't blame him. It was really difficult Mm -hmm. for people not to want to talk about it and address it or for people to say you went through something really bad, but just get over it.
0: Yeah. Also, especially like it's interesting. You seem to have this like incredible compassion for him and for his situation Mm -hmm. and like a really like sort of deep level of empathy about it. And so it sort of feels like crazy that that can't be reciprocated to you do you know what I mean like
1: well thanks for pointing that out yeah I think that's part of yeah I I actually never looked at it that way um but I felt for me I started to have panic attacks like 10 years ago and the first time I had one I thought I was dying yeah I felt like I was having a heart attack and it was so scary because I never dealt with it Mm -hmm. and I had the mindset that oh it happened Let's just move on. And I had to move on. You know, I've been living on my own since I was 16, 17 and finished high school, put myself through university, put one foot in front of the other and when I did the speech of Manifesto, I was really hoping for people to understand that you're not your circumstances. Mm-hmm. Like Oprah Winfrey has this great quote where she says, you are not your circumstances, you are, you are your possibilities. And I feel like if you allow other people to determine the direction your life is going to go in because of what they've done to you, mm-hmm. then you're really doing a disservice to yourself. Mm-hmm. And you're also allowing them to win. My whole life, I always heard you're you're nothing. You'll never be anything. You're a slut. You're, you know, you're a horrible person. And for a long time, I believed mm-hmm. that. And I mean, I'm getting all teary. But to have to hear all that as a child, and not to have like voices that counter, it, like my grand did, mm-hmm. and you know, and then to grow up and do everything. Because I, I always, I say this to my sister. Some people in my family felt like we would be, we would end up on the street and some people were like, oh, you guys are going to be prostitutes and you're going to be this. And when I was in university, I came close to like dancing on tables. Mm-hmm. And the only reason why I didn't do it was because I didn't like my body. Yeah. <laughs> Can you imagine? Yeah. But like I didn't have any food. We used to do this thing where we would buy like Subways, like uh, what is it, the 12 inch? Yeah. From Subway and we would cut it up for the rest of the week, like have a piece a day. And this is what we did. And I said to my sister, I'm like, so if we hadn't, because my sister's an engineer, she works for a great company, she's done amazing. And if we became what they wanted us to become, would they even talk to us? Because now they want to talk to us. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? If I was on the street or if I didn't have the luck that I had, if I went down that road, they wouldn't even think about me. Mm -hmm. So for me... I need to do the best for myself, mm-hmm. which is to take the stuff out of my body to yeah. release it. And I really I really hope that people who were there at the manifesto event um they take a hold of their life mm-hmm. and they just shut those voices down because the only way you're going to make people <sighs> not respect you, but I guess it doesn't really matter what people think, but to make sure that You do everything for yourself, regardless of what people said that you couldn't do. Mm -hmm. Try your best and not to believe them. Mm Because it's really easy to believe people, right? Especially people that you love.
0: Yeah. And it's also, I think, really easy to forget Mm -hmm. that sometimes the people that you love and the people who are your family don't always have your best interests at heart.
1: This is true. And a lot of people think because you're family, Mm -hmm. we're family. And I said this to my younger sister the other day. I go, we have a shared history. And that's kind of it. Mm -hmm. That's it. Um, We don't talk to each other every day. You know, like when I had my kids, no one was there. It was just my husband and I. Mm -hmm. So it's like, why do I have to put myself in these uncomfortable situations Mm -hmm. where I've been told that you're the problem because I'm the person that's like, hey, guys, remember that stuff that happened? (laughs) That elephant in the room, you know, and I'm because I bring it up or because I I'm a reminder of Mm -hmm. it because maybe they see me and -hmm. then they see their failings, their Mm -hmm. their shortcomings, you know, and um, (laughs) I'll tell you a quick story. There was a time when um, my dad was very, very strict Mm -hmm. and um, we came to Toronto and we were, my sister and I were uh, babysitting. Some guys saw where we, we were staying. I think I was 15. So this was before I got kicked out maybe 15, and my sister was 13, 14, and we were here to babysit for my uncle. So we went to McDonald's or something, and these guys came to the door asking for my sister and I. And we came back, and my uncle wouldn't let me into the house. <laughs> and he's like, you're out here talking to these boys and giving them our address. And I'm like, we didn't do that, you know. And he kicked us out. Jesus. He shut the door. He goes, I called your dad and your dad said to kick you out of the house. I'm from London, Ontario. I'm in Toronto. I don't know anybody. I am 15 years old. I live in a house where it's so straight. I don't know anybody. Jesus. And that night, something horrible happened. And nobody... So for years, I felt guilty about what happened. Like I c can't talk about it because I'll just break it break down. Yeah. But something horrible happened that night and then I had to carry that. I had to still be around this uncle and his wife. So recently when I was pregnant with my second, um, like three years ago, I went to his house and every time I went there, they always had like, what's your issue? What's your problem? Like even my family was like, Why are you so why do you act so stink when you're around these people? Mm-hmm. So I I took my uncle and I told him. He didn't even remember. Jesus. I don't remember that happening. I don't remember me kicking you out. And I'm just like, what the? Are you kidding me? Because that night, this happened. And he wasn't even sorry. He wasn't even... Um, it was like, it never happened. So... In a way, it's like I think when they see me, it's that reminder, you know, that, oh, there was a time in my life when I did something that I shouldn't have. Mm -hmm. But then again, it's always – sometimes people just want to hear you acknowledge their pain and say, I'm sorry. Yeah. Or when I did this, I shouldn't have. Yeah. And so I felt so small in that situation. Yeah. Because it was like I had been carrying this for over two decades, this guilt. Mm the shame of what happened, and then you don't even remember Yeah, your actions. Your actions led to it. And I said to him, I go, I'll say this. If my sister's child at 15 did something, I would not kick them out because they're a child. Yeah. You kicked me out in a city, in a part of the city that was not like, you know, there's a lot of stuff happening where he lived, mm-hmm. and you didn't even think twice no. about
0: it. It's just, like, you're, like, also being, like, okay, this is the thing, and I'm giving you a chance to, like, igno- yeah. we, so we can acknowledge this, yeah. and you can be, like... I'm sorry. I'm sorry, or, like... He doesn't remember. And then it's, like, that lack of... Yeah, accountability, yeah, right? Jesus. Because he remembers. Yeah, he right. Remembers. He but remembers. But it's, like, the unwillingness to admit um, even fucking 20 years later that
1: you did some fuck yeah, shit. like. Yeah. But I saw him recently, and I didn't feel anything. Because before, I always felt this weight, Mm -hmm. like, I can't be around these people because I feel like I'm going to just, like, fall apart. Mm -hmm. And I saw him a couple days ago. No, no, it was the same day that I did the speech. Oh, damn. A manifesto. And I felt nothing. And so for me, I felt like I think I've just released it. And it's gone. It's out of my body. And then, again, it reaffirms my uh, decision to have these boundaries. Like you said, because your family doesn't mean that you have the best interests for Mm -hmm. me. Everybody
0: has the right to have boundaries. Yeah. You know, and Absolutely. It's so interesting because like within your like family mm-hmm. space, I guess. I think that's the most difficult place to draw boundaries because people always feel like you know, it's like your family's always there like even if you don't have like a deep connection with them. It's like, well, you have to support me. Like we're family or you have to do this for me. We're family. And so I th- think that that dynamic can be like Abused Mm -hmm. extremely, you know, lots of secrets, lots of stuff. Yeah, for sure. Why is, and it's like, you know, the only secrets thing has always tripped me out. Fuck that. It's
1: your story. And honestly, I think it's like, again, the rejection, because if no one loves you, your Mm -hmm. family does. Yeah. It's a given, or it's supposed to be a given. Mm -hmm. And if your family doesn't love you, are you lovable? Yeah. Of course you are. Yes, of course. And I have lots of friends who are family to me. The most important thing I want for my kids is to grow up in an environment where they know that they're loved unconditionally and that I would do anything for them Mm -hmm. to make sure that they're safe and that they're loved. And, you know, it's lonely sometimes because it's like I've spent most of my life on my own Mm -hmm. navigating it and, you know, there are certain things that... I could have used guidance on, but I didn't. But I managed to get through it. Mm -hmm. And you just have to figure it out. Like, one of my uncles that I really respect, he was abandoned. Like, I think he was five and Mm -hmm. his brother was three, Mm -hmm. you know. And this was back home in Uganda. And he managed, Mm -hmm. you know. And he's super successful. And it's really important for people to know that you got to find it within you to create a good life for yourself, Mm -hmm regardless of what other people say.
0: I mean, I try to think about that when I get, like, bogged down by, you know what I mean? Just like macro world issues and stuff, it's like, well, at the end of the day, like, Mm -hmm. there are just like beautiful individuals. Yeah,
1: life is is beautiful. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, the internet, sometimes I just have to walk away. Mm -hmm. You know, life is beautiful. Like, it's hard, but it's beautiful, Mm -hmm. you know, and that's my philosophy on it. I'm so grateful to live in Canada to be able to, you know, like when I got kicked out, I was Mm -hmm. able to go into student welfare, work at Wendy's (laughs) I still eat there by the way although I just eat the fries and the frosty Um, it's a good good combo I know right I like the sweet and salty combination Mm -hmm. Uh, and even like with popcorn I put M&M's but anyway I digress Uh, no that's a good tip (laughs) right (laughs) to live like you live in Canada and it's like there's so many things that you can do and I'm just so grateful that I have this life
0: honestly well you've done like the other thing is, is, like, you've done so much amazing shit, too. Like It's weird. I don't see it like that. That's so funny.
1: <laughs> I don't see it like that. And for a long time, like, I remember when I was at Much Music, and it used to trip me out to be surrounded by, like, these super famous people. Mm-hmm. And it was so weird because that wasn't me. Mm-hmm. And then for a long time, I felt guilty. I felt guilty. Mm-hmm. I had like, I think it's called survivor's remorse mm-hmm. because it's like, why did I survive um, what we experienced in Uganda and other people didn't? And so what am I supposed to do with my life? Mm-hmm. It really was such a trip. Like, you just going to some of these um, red carpets. yeah, And it felt like a dream. Yeah. And in my head, I kept telling myself, this is not real because it's really easy to get caught up mm-hmm. in this stuff. Like, Free clothes, free this, free that, you know, and even for vices, there's Mm -hmm. stuff everywhere. People are just falling over, giving you stuff. And I always felt like I was watching myself, like, just remember, the stuff is not real. Yeah. And at the end of the day, there's going to come a time when you don't have the stuff, so you have to prepare yourself. Otherwise, you get really, like people telling you, oh, my God, you're so awesome. You're so wonderful. And for a time, I was an asshole. Like, I was such a jerk. I was. You know, I I know I was in my 20s. Like, you know, you're supposed to be figuring out who you are as a person. But I was so, like, caught up in my own head. Mm -hmm. One of my cousins, um, who really was like a sister to me, we, (laughs) when we got kicked out, she moved in with us. We grew up together, and she ended up killing herself. Oh. And I remember talking to her, and and I knew, because I knew her, um, I knew she was suicidal. But I was so caught up in my, oh, my God, I got to go here. And, oh, my God, and my boyfriend and I are fighting. Oh. Like, I look back at it. I'm like, who are you? And who were you? And I feel so much guilt because it's like, you know, some of my other friends are like, well— If someone's suicidal, they're going to do it, Mm -hmm. whether or not you're there. Like, they're going to find a way. But at least if I could feel like I did everything to help Mm -hmm. her, then I could say, okay, I did everything. I didn't. Um, I didn't. You know. So,
0: yeah. That's, like, I understand. I mean, I understand, like, why you would feel, like, guilt about that. I think it's actually, like, quite natural to feel guilt about that. But I do think that, like, damn, like, your friends are right. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like, on a totally other level, like, when you're fucking figuring shit out when you're first an adult, mm-hmm. I feel like there are all these times where you're just, like, so... There's times that I look back on my early 20s where I'm like, fuck, you are a selfish asshole. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Mm-hmm. And, like, I regret behavior towards people who I love where I was mm-hmm. being, like dismissive and weird because, you know, you're just like wrapped up in your own shit because you're like, this is adulthood. Like, everything is about me. Like, I'm doing this thing. Like, I'm making money. This is my life. Like, everything is about you until you're like, oh, shit, nothing is about me. Right. Absolutely nothing is about me. Yeah.
1: And then you figure out, I mean, in a way, it's kind of good because I think we spend a lot of our life anyway, from my experience, is worrying about what other people think, Mm -hmm, totally, and um, instead of what you think. I think the one thing that it taught me was just talk to somebody, Mm -hmm. because I internalized a lot of things that were happening at the time, and it could have just been cleared up with one conversation. Anyway, entertainment world is something else. I've never felt like I fit in. Some people do it really well, yep. but I'm so bad at it. You know, I love the work that I'm doing, and I love being around people. I love networking. Uh, no, I don't. Networking is hard for me. I'm yeah. <laughs> meeting people and be like, "Hey, how are you?" Uh, I always feel like I shouldn't be there. Mm-hmm. I don't yeah. know. My friends were talking about this imposter syndrome, mm-hmm. and um, I always feel like. Is that me? Yeah. <laughs> is that really me? Yeah. It's, it's, it trips me out. Honestly, Lauren, it's like when I see myself on TV, I'll catch like a flick of myself. I'm like, <laughs> who is that person? You know, like who is that? <laughs> and my my kids are like, mommy, you're on TV. I'm like, yeah, change the channel. <laughs> <laughs> it's just too weird.
0: Like, it's so, it, it trips me out. Honestly, it trips me out. But I think that that's like there's not a cool successful person i know who and i think this is i do think it's like a lot of women that i know who are like cool and smart as hell and like so successful and amazing and they're just like oh i don't know i don't know
1: i know it's it, it bothers me it really does hmm. My ex-boyfriend, I mean, he was something to look at. My gosh, he was a work of <laughs> art, but, <laughs> but babe, my husband, you're also gorgeous, yeah. um, <laughs> but he, he said to me once that uh, if he goes into a room mm-hmm. and no one notices him, he leaves, and then he goes back <laughs> until somebody notices him.
0: <laughs> Can you imagine? <laughs> but,
1: because he was so confident, like, uh, to the point of being cocky. Yeah. But he was so confident. And that's what I want to instill in my daughter. Yeah, She will walk onto the elevator in our building and there's, like, 20 people on it. She'll start twirling, <laughs> singing, <laughs> climbing. Like, she doesn't care who's there. She's not, like, in the corner where I would be like, oh, my God, there's somebody many here. And I love that about her. And I want her to have that because I think – You have to, especially for girls. Mm -hmm. You need it. And there's a difference between, I would actually prefer my daughter to be conceited Mm -hmm. than to be Mm -hmm. unsure of herself. Because if you don't believe in yourself, why should anyone else? And it's something that I've struggled with for so long. Long and I understand the roots of my stuff mm-hmm. but it doesn't help, especially yeah. in like broadcasting. Yeah. You can't be like, well, I don't know <laughs> you, <laughs> you gotta be an authority figure. You gotta yeah. be an authority figure, right? And this is thing that my girlfriends and I do. We have a friend, my friend Jennifer Hollitt. Mm-hmm. and we do this. What would Jennifer Hollitt do? Because <laughs> she's like, she's so confident and she's so, like, amazing. And she, when she walks into a room, she owns it. And that's what I want. That's what
0: I want for my daughter. No, I always thank God that my dad was uh, just the kind of dudes. like, I'm the oldest of uh, four girls. And... He was always just like, no, you, like, have to have an opinion about politics. Good. You have to know, and then you have to tell people about it. We would get fights at the dinner table over, like, and he was never mad that we were yelling about politics or when we didn't agree or whatever. And I thought it was kind of crazy. It's like, I was raised by a single dad, so then it's like, just this one dude is like, no, you can, like, do whatever you want That's to awesome. Do. Yeah, it was me. Like, yeah. say, there was four girls, too, yeah. for me.
1: Yeah. Yeah, but that's awesome. But your dad
0: taught you at a young age yeah. that your voice matters. Yeah, yeah. He was just like, it doesn't matter if, mm-hmm. like, men tell you to shut up. <laughs> At like, least you're heard. Yeah. He was like, honestly, people just tell you to shut up your whole life. You just got to ignore them. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you speak louder. Yeah, right? Yeah. yeah. I mean, there's other things that I'm, like, less confident about, but mm-hmm. I am confident about my, like, intellect and my ability to, like, form opinions and thoughts, and, like, for that, I... Thank my dad. That's daily. awesome. That's awesome. I said to uh, a friend of mine, because she's like, oh,
1: the guy that I'm with, he has to look a certain way mm-hmm. and he has to be like tall or he has to, you know, look this way. And I said, listen, when we're all like 80, we're all going to look the same. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, we're all going to like <laughs> <laughs> that guy who was hot once yeah. upon a time. He's also going to look like a, a raisin. Yeah, yeah <laughs> like a raisin. And if he was a jerk yeah. or, you know, he's going to look, he's still going to be a jerk probably <laughs> More jerky, yeah. <laughs> if there's a word, but <laughs> jerkier, <laughs> more jerkier. Uh, but <laughs> but yeah. But it's you have to have a voice because you're. I think that's where everything starts right Mm -hmm. and I feel like I'm rediscovering my voice Mm -hmm. and like doing that um, speech at manifesto I felt like I was taking control Mm -hmm. I mean I was a complete mess but I felt like I was taking a control of my life Mm -hmm. and saying okay I've internalized this stuff for so long Mm -hmm. and now I just want to let it out and I'm not ashamed of it because there's so much shame um, surrounded uh, child abuse there's so much shame because you feel like you deserved it, yep. you did something, and you were not lovable enough, or you you know you didn't clean the dishes well enough mm-hmm. or sweep the floor the way you should have. like you just were not good enough, mm-hmm. and you deserved it. So now it's like i don't I don't feel that shame anymore. Mm-hmm. And if I have to walk alone, I'm ready to do that. Mm-hmm. And um, it's not even about pushing anybody under the bus or airing any dirty laundry. It's a part of who I am. Yeah. And it's thrown me for a loop for many years. And um, now it's like if I can just connect with one person and say it's not your fault, Mm -hmm. uh, that might have happened. But you can still do all these awesome things and you can still have an awesome life. And that one thing doesn't have to define you, you know. Yeah,
0: I do think that, like, there is a super amazing, like, strength in being that Mm -hmm. vulnerable. So Mm -hmm. to, like take that super, like, vulnerable moment and, like, come out of it feeling, like, a stronger and, like, sort of, like, more able to, like, face things. Like, that's that's the beauty in it, right? Is that you walked away from that and you were, like... I felt naked. my body literally feels different. Yeah,
1: I felt naked. I felt like I was just standing there, like, this is me and uh, this is the deepest hurt that I've had and, you know, with the exception of my grand and my cousin passing away but it's like this is a thing that happened to me where I felt so much physical pain Mm -hmm. and I felt so much emotional pain that at 13 I decided that that's it Mm -hmm. I can't because what is the point yeah and that would have been a tragedy in itself I mean I have two small kids yeah you know and what would have happened Yeah, All that stuff, I would have missed out on so many great and beautiful things. You're right, there is strength in vulnerability. Honestly, like, I don't know, like I said, I can't believe I have the life that I have. It's such a trip. It's such a trip. But I really do feel like I need to talk about it in order to help other kids who might be going through the same thing.
0: Well, that's cool as hell, man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's the cool shit. Yeah. So there's, I got nothing but love and respect for that. Yeah. For real. <sighs> oh, man. That is it for this week's show. Uh, but it was a doozy. I'd like to thank Nam again for coming in. I had a wonderful time speaking with her, getting to know her. Cavern of Secrets is brought to you by Hazlitt. It is hosted by me, your girl, Laura Mitchell. Our theme music was made by Bianca Giulione, and it is, as always, produced by my dear friend, Anshuman Itemsetti. You can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, anywhere where people record stuff and put it on the web, that's where we are, we're in all those places. We also have a website, cause we're a professional institution, and it's cavernofsecrets.com. You can follow us on Twitter, at Cavern Uh, And if you like us and if you like what we're doing, as always, please rate us on iTunes. It's very, very helpful. And just an additional shout out to anyone who voted for us for the Now Magazine thing. That kind of shit just really helps people know who we are and what we do. And I appreciate all of the support and all of the love and all of the giving out your personal email address. (laughs) Uh, Thank you. I'm paranoid too, so I know it's tough. Yeah, that's it. Thank you again and always for listening, and we will catch you next time.